0: Hey, folks, do me a huge favor and rate this podcast on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. It helps us reach an higher audience. It helps us reach out to those people who may also enjoy this podcast. Also, like it, subscribe to it if you haven't subscribed yet, and be sure to share it with your friends and family. Hey folks, this is the in the Peace Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Hardy. As always, uh, Josh is not joining me today. Wow, I usually say, as always, Josh is joining me today. Instead, uh, Don Bradley is joining me today. He's my new special guest for today because Josh is... Um, actually, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I asked him if he was available. He said no. That was it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I guess so. Okay. I'm not going to pry. I <laughs> guess he's not available. Uh, Don, tell us about yourself. What do you do... Um, why are you here? What are we hoping to? You know, like, <laughs> why am I here? Yes. I think that's our the universal question. That's Isn't a deep it? question, right? right there. Exactly. We get deep on this. Hold show. On. I've got to think about this. <laughs> that's deep <laughs> as a puddle, to be honest. Right.
1: With you. Um, well, so I am currently a marriage and family therapy associate, working specifically with cops and first other first responders and their families, victims of PTSD, stuff like that. Um, but I used to be a police officer myself uh, back in Hayward. Uh, God, seems like what 12 years ago now um was a cop with uh, Alameda county sheriff's department for about two years Then decided to jump over to the street in hayward for about eight years uh got injured got a nice little parting gift on my shooting hand um don't have any feeling in this portion of my hand so mm-hmm. realized i wasn't going to be as effective of an officer may I ask uh, what happened uh it was a it was a dv call the lady called and said that she had uh that she had a restraining order against her ex and that mm-hmm. he was at the house, of course, when we Fairly there, common call, actually. Very, very yeah. common call, yes. Finally get there, we talk to the lady. She goes, my my ex and I have been smoking crack all day, <laughs> and we got into an argument, and now I want him gone, here's the piece of paper, which is very disillusioning. Yeah. In yeah. the uh, yeah. grand scheme of things. But. So we go inside the house. He's, of course... Locked in, you know, the whole room, their whole house is completely blacked out. He's, but he's in that one of those little back half bathrooms. Mm-hmm. And you can just hear him in there. You can hear him clicking on the lighter. But smoke, but
0: actively smoking. Just getting his last hit in. Did you yep. know you guys were coming or?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, he did. Okay. Because okay. so she last told him hit. that we were coming, right? Yeah. So I on the door. I said, police, come on out. He goes, you going to arrest me? And I said, yep. And he said, then I'm not coming out. Which I was like. Okay, that's fine. I I enjoy the occasional. Yeah, why not? Right. Just, 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 you know. It makes it interesting. Sure, exactly. So, open the door. I have my taser. Um, He's inside one of these sliding glass uh, half shower type Mm -hmm. things. So, it's a real small room, no bigger than this right here. And uh, so, I point the taser in. I'm like, come on out. He's standing in there like this, just staring at me. Just
0: holding his pipe. Just it holding, like, yeah, just holding like, up like this. We, and <laughs>
1: like, oh, okay, that's fine. So fire the taser. The taser doesn't work, which, you
0: know. We train for or We're supposed to train
1: for Right. right? So I just kind train. of toss it off to the side. I go in after him. He, he tries to, so it's my, my, my partner and I are there. He tries to come out past me, which is completely not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But as he does, he knocks the door off the, the shower it slams the door behind me as I go in, and it's just me and him inside there. So we get into mm-hmm. this big scuffle. I wrestle him down to the ground. I get him kind of pinned, but I can't really do it. I'm, I'm kind of stuck because we're stuck against the door. The door can't open. My partner can't come in. I've got him pinned down, but I can't like maneuver him over to get his handcuffs mm-hmm. on. So I just basically pull out my flashlight because my baton, I don't have enough room to basically expand my baton. Yeah. So I just took my... SL or the SLX 24 the metal flashlight yeah yeah the big one hit him as absolutely hard as I could right across his left shin mm-hmm. broke his shin and broke my arm at the same time oh wow it popped the humorous bulb off of my off the end of my arm here and it
0: just tore up all the the, the nerves inside there so wow I was, he ended up kind of I mean I don't want to say you had the last laugh but
1: well I, I mean I dove on top of him and I just kind of pinned him tried to keep him from biting me and hitting me and stuff like mm-hmm. that and he just, he didn't even feel the, the blow. He did As soon as I hit him, he didn't even feel the blow. I did, however, and we got pinned in there. So I held him down. My partner's kicking the door open like, you know, just a quarter of an inch, eighth of an inch, you know, as he's, mm-hmm. as, it's, as he's kicking the door open. Finally gets where he can actually reach his arm in, pin the guy down, pin the guy's face away from me. I got up as quickly as I could open the door, and then they just dragged him, him out. Affected deer. it's almost like a
0: worst case scenario when you get pinned off from your your partners and basically you're solo. you know well like you, it,
1: you i realized because he tried to kick me in the balls basically and, yeah. and i was like okay this this can't happen i gotta mm-hmm. do something and then as soon as my arm broke i was like i pulled it in like a chicken wing and just laid down on top of him and i said hey man i'm hurt i don't know what what happened but and so he just we just i stayed there and kept you know because he was screaming for bloody murder Mm-hmm. As I'm and I'm not really doing anything, but he believes that he's being, you know, taken advantage of, I guess. And but this is while he's actually you still know still smoking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he never stops trying straight. to smoke his pipe. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 Tweaker logic. I guess.
0: Okay. That reminds me I had I was a school resource officer for half a minute and um I had the school that was just all special needs. You know, like every kid out sure. there who had been expelled or they just not functioning in regular public school for Whatever reason, right? Right, right? Some were on the spectrum, some had other issues, you know. Just they all had something going on. Well, as one kid walks off, and he's a little kid, you know, he doesn't come up to my belly button, right? So he just he walks off campus. And I'm following him. I like, hey man, you know, you need to come back to school. But well, well, he picks up a rock and throws it at me. So I dodge the first rock, and then I have my body camera rolling. And then the second rock, you see he throws it, and you see it hit me, and you hear me go, ow, mother. And then you see me running on the camera because you're watching body camera footage, so you see me running. Sure, sure. So it's all just shaky and blurry as I'm running up to this kid, and he turns around he starts running. And the last thing you see before the camera really goes black is this look of fear as the kid looks back at me. And he's <laughs> right eye level with the camera because I had him like mid-riff, you sure. know. And you just see this, and then I grab him and, you know, I take him down. Well, the captain's reviewing videos, and he comes across this one, and he puts it on his phone so he can go around the admin and say, Hey, you having a bad day today? Here, look what Deputy Hardy's doing, <laughs> and so because he thought it was just hilarious. You know, here. you see me get hit by a rock, and then see me chasing this kid down and stuff. And he's like, "Look, you're having a bad day here. Here's Deputy Hardy's day." Nice. You became a meme. <laughs> yes, all pretty right. much. I became a laughing. Well, not necessarily a bad thing to be laughed at, at the department all the time. Sometimes it's good tension. Hey,
1: you're. This is
0: coming from a guy whose patrol car got hit by a train. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Well. I this has come from a guy who backed into a tree once. <laughs> Only once? <laughs> With the right along, <laughs> which Train of worse. Yeah. Stupid tree was right in my blind spot. I know, oh. correct. Yeah, it happens. Um, okay, so going back to your job and what you do and stuff like that. Now, I, I got to admit, I never met you before today. And so when we actually were in, introduced by a mutual friend, and so... I immediately start thinking, okay, the shirt, the tie, the glasses, clean shaven. You know, like any other therapist you would imagine. You know, your Hollywood therapist. Patches on the sleeves, Patches on the sleeve, whatever. And you show up with your plaid, your beard. Uh, you have a similar haircut to what I got going on. Right. Uh, I mean, you look like almost like a motorcycle gang guy. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but the, I'm sa- not saying that as a bad thing. I'm saying that that's cool. Like, if I was going to go see a therapist, I'd much rather see someone who looks like part of the same world I live in versus somebody who's like, wow, this guy's probably never had a bad relationship in his life or he's never struggled with anything. I get it. You know, and so I think we're going to dive into that a little bit today because the topic we decided, because when when we got introduced, you sent me a big list of things I would love to talk about. And the first one on your list was depression. Now, I wasn't being lazy when I said, let's talk about depression. You know, I actually read through the whole list. You know, it just happened to be the first one on the list. But I decided to choose depression because uh, with COVID-19 uh the politics and news can't seem to put out anything positive or at least it didn't before january 20th sure uh so um uh but it just depression's been making just a huge part of what we do and, and just working in law enforcement i've seen i don't know how many suicides last year right uh how many people that are just struggling from all walks of life different ages different backgrounds different whatever there are people who seem like they had everything going for them would suddenly uh go and go commit suicide and stuff like that so depression's right. something that's been a part of my life, not just seeing it as an outsider, seeing it affect other people's lives, but it's also been a part of, like, I've dealt with it right. at times in my life. And so I really want to talk about that um, and people struggling. But first of all, what are the different types of depression that people are dealing with do you think? Well, depression can kind of come across in a number of different ways. If you look
1: at the way kids deal with depression, they basically, there a lot of it comes out in the in, the shape of anger right like mm-hmm. especially especially boys right they you know uh girls may may necessarily like become a little bit more withdrawn and and boys do the same thing they become yeah. withdrawn as well but they have a tendency to manifest it a little bit more in anger lashing out and stuff like that mm-hmm. so when you see you know you hear parents especially as a as a therapist parents coming in saying my my kids really being you know unruly and stuff like that it's entirely possible that it could be depression, but because we only we we associate anger with you know a little bit more like uh, oppositional defiant <laughs> disorder or stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's it does, you don't think depression right off the bat. But it can come as far as adults go, and especially with cops, it can come out in a lot of different ways. Especially uh, depression, the root of depression comes in with the with the. uh the that sense of helplessness and hopelessness, right? That, yeah. This idea, like, well, I don't have any other options, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with whatever needs to come out, mm-hmm. right? That's why cops are, you know, drinking their asses off, taking prescription drugs, doing, you know, smoking weed, uh, getting themselves in trouble, doing risky behaviors, right? It's, and that's their version of feeling something other than the fact, just feeling like shit with depression, right? yeah. So it'll come out in a, in, you know, it'll come out as, as treating your family terrible or, or, you know, withdrawing from your friends mm-hmm. or drinking too much or, you know,
0: there's a bunch of different ways that depression can actually manifest. Yeah, it's my experience that it it'll manifest in a lot. I mean, especially going back to teenage boys. Uh, I was reading the study years ago, well, not years ago, but a few years ago I was doing when I was doing the school resource resourcing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go through all these trainings and stuff. And one thing they did is they did a study with teenagers and they would put, like, a face in front of them, like, a picture of somebody's face. And they say, okay, describe that emotion. Are they sad? Are they angry? Are they happy? Are they content? Like, what, what's the emotion? Sure. And then they did the same thing with adults. Well, adults were almost 100%. Okay, yeah, that's an angry person. That's a sad person. That's a frustrated individual. That's a happy person. The teenagers were way off. Like, they would look at an angry person and be like, oh, that person's sad. You know, so the way the teenagers perceive things and the way they see it versus what an adult might do, it, it, it kind of, to me, it kind of creates a disconnect. You know, where an adult might say, see a teenager as being, oh, he's being um, disrespectful, he's being rude and stuff sure. like that, and they'll never connect the fact that, oh, wait, he might be manifesting something else. You know, he might be going through something that we didn't know. You know, maybe he's being bullied at school. Maybe he's having some problem. Maybe there's a girl he has a crush on that really insult you know what I'm saying? Like, right. there's other stuff, and so it, I think as a parent, it's kind of hard to to see it right away, and sometimes you got to remind yourself to ask those questions. Um do you have any insight on that? Like, as a parent, if you're looking at that, or
1: 100. Actually, you know, it's it's funny when you talk about that because it just segues right into something that I tell pretty much every client that uh, that sat down in front of me about the the whole uh, big brain, little brain conversation, the, the the fight, flight, faint or freeze portion mm-hmm. of the brain, right? And how you know when we're born, obviously that that uh, that's the basis of our existence: survive, right? We right. We, you want to make sure you're eating enough, taking big enough breaths, running away from the growl outside the cave, uh, you know, <laughs> getting enough connection, personal connection to satisfy, you know, that there, there's this, uh, uh, Abraham Maslow has this thing called the hierarchy of needs and it basically says that you can't, you have to get these basic needs filled first before you're able to move down to the next mm-hmm. stage and survival is the very top of that thing. So whenever we're, our brains develop, we develop this, you know, I call it the Fonzie, that we develop this basic portion and how that's affected when we're, when we're born that, you know, the part of our brainstem that basically says, take a breath, you're, you're, you're choking, you know, mm-hmm. eat something, you're hungry, you know, like that type of stuff run because you're scared. We develop that based on our childhood and all the stuff that comes into it, you know, whether our parents are shitty to us or where, whether somebody beats us, neglects us, does stuff like that. It, it affects that basic core. But then as we develop, we begin to develop the, the bigger parts of our brain, you know being able to do poetry and music and logic and different things like that up until you're supposedly you're 25, right? Right. Well, what happens is when this is fired, when you're getting into a fight with your significant other, or you're getting into a fight with your kid, this is the only thing that's working, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're up so if you're upset and you're tra- you you can't necessarily read the signs uh, or you know put yourself in that position to be able to look at your kid and go oh this may be something that doesn't have anything to do with me mm-hmm. right kids they react uh you know they they have a tendency as they're kind of learning about themselves to be very selfish and and i say that i don't say that in a bad way i say that as just a statement of fact you they're they're trying to learn about who they are so they everything they try to express comes through through them and them figuring out their their emotions. So if they seem disrespectful, it's probably because they felt disrespected, right? And so Mm. they they basically lash out in the ways that they they project the stuff that they actually want. And being able to listen to them is probably the, the biggest and most difficult thing to do, especially when the parent's upset, because they're only using this portion of their brain. Well, if you've ever seen a couple get into an argument... That they they say, you know, he was being unruly, she was being unruly or whatever. And then they go back and forth and realize, well, they were, you know, you were only using these portions of your brain. You go into a therapy session and you get all the good ideas and all the good plans and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you take it in. And then all of a sudden the first time the argument starts, this is the only thing that's working. This turns on, this shuts off. And then it goes, okay, we're just trying to survive, right? We're just, you, these fights get really ugly and mean and nasty and all this kind of stuff. But it's just what we've learned at on um, how to survive. Even if dysfunctional or functional, we it's tucked in there. And so we get into this we get into this cycle and it goes right into to, to that cycle and all this stuff gets forgotten. And then whenever we calm back down, we sit there and go. God, I can't believe that I did that. Why did I do these things? Mm-hmm. And it's because this brain, this portion of your brain, the higher functions, is scrutinizing this portion of your brain for surviving, and that doesn't make any sense. That, do you understand what I'm saying? I understand probably better than you would understand. Let's take a break
0: really quick, and we'll pick up right there with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. back so we were kind of touching on something talking about the survival part of the brain, or more primitive part that some people might refer to it versus the logical and everything else uh i actually heard this phrase before people call it survival mode you know m- my wife's actually touched on this before she's like sometimes i just feel like survival mode like you can you can go to somebody and these are people you can go to and be like hey do you mind cleaning up after yourself and they immediately want to defend themselves i didn't make that mess i didn't do this and that. i'm like oh, okay fine but the mess still needs to get cleaned up right You know, it doesn't change the fact that I'm not asking you who did it. I'm not asking you who made this mistake. I'm not asking you, could you clean this up for me because I'm doing something else. You know, but they immediately go very defensive. Um, Do you think when you're looking at survival mode and that kind of stuff, you talked about, you know, maybe it's the way you were raised or something like that where it kind of triggers that portion of you to get very defensive. Um, Is finding the source, like, is that key to depression? Is that key to... um, being defensive, like figuring out why it happens or why you feel this well, way. Well, we get into those
1: same cycles. You know? Yeah. Well, we so the the thing that people don't necessarily think about is the fact that they have all of these different signs that that appear as they approach the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. These things that go, uh-oh, here we go again, right? So it automatically says, by the time I get to here, whatever this arbitrary sign is. In our subconscious, we basically just go, when we get to here, then that's when we're going to put our guard up and the usual stuff is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's. do I recommend that you find out what the source of that depression is? Absolutely. But that's a longer process. What, what it's about is recognizing the signs and taking that exit before you get there. Because ultimately, I, I kind of liken it to, to SWAT training, right? You're doing all this training so that when the shit goes down, you just, you kick right into gear. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, ultimately what that's, that's the, the idea is this fight, flight, faint or freeze portion of your brain. If you can recognize the signs that get you close to that, you can, you can say, okay, when this happens, I'm going to walk away. Right. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna withdraw from this situation because I know that going down this normal path, this is what happens. Right. So it's, it's recognizing the basest uh, reaction and, and sort of training yourself to, to do that so that you just don't go into that same cycle, right? You say, okay, instead of normally we'd, we'd, you know, come home from, you know, like if you're talking about a couple or something like that, normally we'd come home from work and when we got there, we, we just immediately start arguing. Well, if you change up how you're going to do that in a way where you recognize these first couple of steps and what what needs to happen at this critical point, rather than going oh by the time we get all the way to the house we're automatically fighting, if you if you are able to divert yourself to a spot where uh, you're t- like if you're telling your significant other hey when this happens I'm gonna I'm gonna go withdraw. It doesn't mean that I don't care about you. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that I don't, you know, like you create this idea that this means I'm not running away from us. I'm I'm moving from the situation so as it doesn't follow that same. Yeah, I've seen that
0: before with couples and stuff where someone's like, okay, I'm going for a drive. You know, and the other one immediately goes into survival mode. If you leave, we're, we're, you know, if you leave, we're done, we're over. And so the husband or the wife would reassure them and be like, no, hold on, I'm coming back. You know, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm this, I just need to go decompress for a little bit, I'm coming back, I'll be back within an hour, I'm just going to go for, you know, just that reassurance to kind of let the survival mode know, hey, no, you know, that's not where we're at, we're not being this elevated right now, I'm doing this, and I will be coming back, I love you very much, you know, and I find, with even with um, depression, you know, reassurance matters for a lot of people, you know, just reminding them, I don't know if it's insecurity, I don't know where it comes from, but... Uh, I find that just sometimes taking that extra moment to touch somebody and be like, "Hey, no, you know, it's okay. I understand what you're feeling, or sure. or I don't understand what you're feeling, but I understand it's an issue. Okay, I'm going to address it. I'm going to take you seriously. Um, it's called validation. Yeah, but this is what I need. You right, know? Like right. this, I still need you to clean up this mess. You know, like whatever it is.
1: It, well, it's 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 you exist. Your feelings are valid, like that type of stuff. And I and I that's the very. When I I tell people that I'm not a very patches on the sleeves, tell me about your mother type, uh, but there are some, you know, bumper stickery type stuff that when I say them, it it means it actually is true, right? Got to validate. You got people got to know that they exist, right? They got to know that they're not being discarded because when they get when they when they sink back into that hole, Mm -hmm. everything that they look at out of their eyes is very depressed, right? Like you can see, you'll be able to find the misery in pretty much everything. And if you don't validate somebody, I mean, take special care to go, you know what, everything's going to be okay. I don't don't know what you're going through, but I know that I can tell you're going through something like that type of thing. You want to be able to let them, not only, you're not just telling them as a sort of a, a, this this cycle that you get into, it's not, you're not just telling, you're making sure that they heard you, understood you, accepted what you said, right, that, because that connection, it's not just about saying the words, mm-hmm. right, it can, you can write down on a piece of paper all you want, they got to believe you, right, so right. they've got to be able to find, a depressed person has to be able to find at least one resource that can just, Pull them off that foundation that their feet are starting to like sink down into, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's easier
0: said than done. So how do we recognize the difference between okay, I'm depressed because my cat died versus I have clinical depression and I'm actually I'm, I may need more help than than uh you know, rather than just going for a walk.
1: Right. Well there's a difference between grief and depression, right? Right. people grieve the passing of a loved one, or you know, and and that is completely normal, right? But we throw around the word depression a lot when we when that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that what it is, because depression is is specific signs that last over a, a very set amount of time, right? Because, uh, in fact, I, I I'll bring up the uh, actual uh, DSM definition here in a bit, but ultimately what it comes down to is it's a sustained sense of deep sadness without any type of you know it's uh there's anhedonia is basically no pleasure and some they don't take pleasure in things they don't want to do anything anymore and it's that pervasive uh it's it's not only pervasive and deep but it's for a particular
0: length of time yeah the way i've described it and by all means correct me you're wrong you're you're, you're the expert i'm not but i told people i was like look if you know, it's one thing to be depressed because, or anxious or whatever, because there's a reason for it. You know, sure. you have a job interview, someone, a loved one just died, you know, um, your house is a mess, you don't feel like cleaning up, you know, <laughs> like there's a reason why, and then there's depressed because, and you don't have a reason, you know, or you're anxious and you're just, you, there's no reason for it. Um, Like someone who's bipolar, you know, you could just be walking, cleaning up, doing your thing. All of a sudden, next thing you know, you feel really sad and you want to cry, you know? And so that's, I mean, that's the way I've kind of described it to people. I'm like, if you think you have clinical depression, it's usually not triggered by anything. You just feel miserable for whatever reason.
1: Well, you can tell you can tell the difference between this deep, deep pervasive sadness that makes you go, I don't even want to get out of bed right now. Just mm-hmm. and and there is bound to be some I when I say reason, I'm not talking like that, you know, that core, that one thing. There's a lot of stuff where people have You know, uh, traumatic history that basically has just been sort of nestled down in there. And eventually, you know, with a traumatic history, all the stuff the cops see, all the, you know, some of these cops have got some really bad childhood upbringings. And they, and what it comes down to is that bill is going to come due at some point, right? It's not, you don't get to forget. You do not get to forget that stuff and just go, oh, well, I'll be totally fine. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be able to address it. And whether you address it, Early and sort of be open to the experiences you're going to have to sort of get through in order to take care of it, or you wait till the very end and on your deathbed you have to deal with all that regret. You think about all those the the difference between those two times. Mm-hmm. I think I'd rather deal with when I when I'm physically cap- physically and mentally capable of handling.
0: Yeah, but how do you how do you convince somebody? I mean, cops. I mean, you got that Type A personality, that pride. I'm sure. not the victim. I help people. I serve people. I I attack the evil you pretend like doesn't exist. You know, how do you tell that guy, hey man, you're dealing with something, and you need to get mushy gushy and go get in a room with somebody and talk about it? Well,
1: you can't come at, you can't come at somebody with the mushy gushy stuff because <laughs> that's and that is an instant turnoff. If you think about what we just talked about with the big brain little brain thing, right? Mm-hmm. If I come up with the mushy gushy stuff, there's a part in his brain that just automatically turns that off and says i'm not I'm not open to what you're talking about right now, right, right, so it's about being able that the that that initial sort of therapeutic connection is the most important because you know, like you like you talked about when I first got here, right? I don't look like a, your typical therapist, right? Because mm-hmm. if I did, the typical therapist would instantly the the, the yeah. cop would just go. Nah. It might be
0: a turnoff to a cop right. or a military whoever is like, right. yeah, I'm not doing this. This is not me. You right.
1: Know? I well, the thing is, I'm not. This isn't a uniform for me. I'm not. I'm not dressed like this to to appeal to the audience. You appeal dress, to me it's just because, <laughs> but it, but it's just who I am, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be sort of. There's a genuineness. That you have to be in order for a cop to believe you, right? Right. It's, it ultimately, what it comes down to is building a trust with a person whose job it is to be investigative and to you know, basically sniff out the bullshit is, uh, is what you have to get past. Right, because there's all this stuff that's going on with them. Is is the container is completely full and it's all just tied up together like that. So once you get past that initial sort of connection, then that work starts, and
0: that and that, and that shield that they were using to protect themselves can come up at a moment's notice. Like I'm not a trained therapist, I'm not a professional in any way, shape, or form. But let's say I recognize it. Would an indirect approach work? Like, hey man, let's go. You know, let's let's go get some lunch. You know, let's let's uh, why don't you come over and uh, we can watch a fight on the TV or something like that. Would would you encourage someone to have an indirect approach to see if you can get some of open up and maybe admit that hey, maybe I have a problem or something like that? Or
1: well, if you if you think about how cops are kind of dealing with that stuff right now anyway, mm-hmm. in, in their own way, right? How many times have you seen you know choir practice, right? right? People they get together and they they when you when you hear cops tell stories about the things that actually happen. You realize that um, those stories is it's their version of therapy right they It sounds like they're bragging, but in in fact they want somebody else to go, "Holy crap, that happened to you you know like mm-hmm. that they they want to feel that sort of kinship that somebody understands that that somebody's as shocked by the thing that they saw as as they were mm-hmm. right and and they do it that way because that's the socially acceptable way to do it in that in that setting right. But ultimately what it comes down to is there's you, you've, you've got to look at the, the specific situation and the specific person and, the, and the, the shields that they hold up and the way they do it, right? So it's not just like I can go, well, all cops do this or all cops. No, each person is an individual and they each have their own ways that they sort of protect themselves because, like I said, it goes right back to that very basic how do they survive right and so finding out how they survive can give you some insight on how they want to or how you can kind of weave your way down into what is bothering them and and what is keeping them from being happy (music)
0: hey folks a lot of families are fleeing california and just starting new lives for themselves and my friends brian and kim did that a couple years ago and they started a new business i want you guys to check out grandma's Pantry pocatellocom that's grandma's Pantry pocatello.com. Uh they moved out to idaho and they started making custom jams and jellies guys and they have some great and amazing flavors check this out they got the typical blueberry they have apple mint jelly pumpkin spice jam uh mint uh pumpkin pie jam peach habanero apple pie, nectarine, uh, well, strawberry jam, mango jelly, strawberry jalapeno, cherry jam, sour cherry, blackberry. If you want unique and interesting flavors, especially for the holiday seasons, if you want to impress your guests, um, check it out. Grandma's Pantry, Pocatello.com. Help out my friends, Brian and Kim, great people. So again, Grandma's Pantry, Pocatello.com. So I think one of the hard things to do because as you kind of touched on everybody's a little different and everybody kind of deals with their thing differently indeed so I mean I would not necessarily uh envy your position because you basically have to unpack people a little bit and kind of figure out what it is that um not only what it is that they're dealing with but how what's the best way for them to deal with it
1: right yeah because it's not the that's that's the thing that we that people need to understand is that I'm not the expert in the room I can't be the expert on your life right mm-hmm. so it's being able to actually talk with somebody and and connect with them and convince them of that right because that's that that's the that sense of empowerment that you give them to go I definitely want to help you I want you to know that I want you to, I want to help you however, the only way that I can help you is if you become the expert in the room and and, and provide me with that, you know, and basically be as cooperative as possible and sort of, I say submit to the process because it's, it's, you know, a lot of questions and a lot of feelings and a lot. And so the other part of it too, is that when I was, when I was doing police work before, I specialized in the whole anti-terrorism thing and, mm-hmm. and, and something that I use in the therapeutic setting constantly is the whole advanced interview and interrogation thing where, you know, I read people top to bottom, they their body language, their facial expressions for whenever they're telling a lie. So, being able to actually see—well, that in, makes me more comfortable in the <laughs> room. With you. I didn't want to tell you that right <laughs> off of the bat. I mean, you wouldn't have let me in the door. But it's that—it's that you know uh, the ability to kind of see how the questions and the, and the inquiries and, and the 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 paths we're going down really lands with them, right? Mm-hmm. Because they they don't think about being scrutinized in that way but yet there's so many things you have to relate before you actually have that conversation you know about the safety of being in that situation
0: well that's true i mean honestly the only expert in the room on me would be me right like that's i know true. me better than anybody so i know like if something's weighing on me uh like if there's a problem in my life that's weighing on me i have to deal with that problem you know i can't just go fishing knowing that this problem still exists at home right you know, I can't go for a walk knowing this problem still exists at home. So if something's bothering me, like like right now my garage is a mess. It drives me insane, mm-hmm. right? I can't find my tools. I can't find anything. So I built this patio, pulled a hot tub out of there that's been taking up a lot of storage, got that out of there, set it up on the patio, and tomorrow I'm cleaning my garage. I'm not going to go fishing. I'm not going to go hunting. I'm not going to do anything else because I know as long as that's still there and bothered me, I have to deal with that. Sure. Right? I think a lot of people with their mental health is the same way. It's like, okay, as long as this is bothering you, no technique is really going to solve it is until you solve this, that's really getting at you. You know, if you have an unfinished um, conversation with your father-in-law or stepdad or something like that, you know, and you can call the guy and say, Hey, this is just, I just got to get this off my chest. Okay. Well, going fishing or dealing with another technique isn't going to help you. You, you, That's not going to help you because when all is said and done, you need to finish that conversation. Sure. Right. I mean, and so like, and that's the thing, I kind of want to dive into different techniques like we discussed an article. You cannot pour from an empty Cop, which I thought was just a great article. A lot of stuff. I was reading it, and it was nice to see it articulated out things that I was already doing in my life sure. to help deal with my stuff because I deal with a lot of bad stuff. Sure. <laughs> like I, I, I've seen it all, done it all. I've, I've been a cop for over ten years, and I've you know I've done everything from dealing with dead children to uh, all sorts of stuff. You know, right. car accidents, tragedies. I mean, I, I've seen a little bit of everything. And so I have to come up with my own strategy how to deal with me because I'm the expert on me. You know, and one result is I get out in nature, right? I'll go hunting. I'll go fishing. I'll go go for walks. Go, you know, I'll take certain times. Another thing I'll do is um, uh, I'll take a me day, you know, and I try to do it at least once a week. Actually, Sundays are usually my day to just be me. Okay. Um, in the article, uh, they discuss as as uh, observe your Sabbath, whenever that is. I mean, cops have a weird schedule, so your Sabbath might be on a Tuesday. It might right, be on a Thursday, right. you know. But you just take one day to say, okay, this is my day to just be at home and deal with whatever. Watch what I want to watch on TV, uh, whatever is weighing on me. Like, if i got a bunch of laundry piling up, I'll get it done that day so it doesn't bother me anymore. You know, whatever it is, you know, just take that time and say, this is what I know is going to help me right now because I know me better than anybody.
1: Sure. Well, self-care is... is- ridiculously important and that a lot and, and most first responders that I've come in contact with don't do enough of it right because they they've developed this personality that basically is always be the one be available to help everybody else but they never actually take that time for themselves so that's that's that is a real that is probably one of the bigger problems but but the one of the things I wanted to sort of go back to was this uh this idea that um when, when this and I and this actually I broached the subject before when I was doing real estate and I was doing like a, a safety class where I was was teaching people how to how to deal in these this like open house situation post uh, law enforcement career and ultimately, what I had to do is I had to tell them that and this is something that I would tell every person within the sound of my voice there's two of the most important things that need to happen in order for you to actually uh, be able to move towards taking care of your mental health if if that's an issue. First one is um, recognizing that it's occurring, like recognizing that something is happening, right? You don't have to completely understand it, but you do have to acknowledge that something is occurring that needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. right? And then the second thing is you have to give yourself permission to actually act, like to, to actually... Take steps towards your own benefit. Be selfish, as it were. Yeah. Right? Invest in your mental health. That's right, right. Because ultimately, and I, and I, I compared it to the, the folks that you know that are in a situation where they, where you know, they're walking down the street. They see somebody coming towards them. They can look at them and they can tell like the person is going to do some bad thing to them, like rob them or whatever. Mm-hmm. For, for an example, right. So it's that idea where they they go they kind of recognize what's happening, and then be able to actually act because a lot of times people will just go ah that's not happening ah mm-hmm. that couldn't happen ah that happened and up to the point where the person is literally grabbing their purse a- away from them there's they're like this can't be happening right they're, they're still all in denial whole time yeah. right? right and it's not until afterwards where they go my god I saw that coming a mile away and yet I didn't do anything about it mm-hmm. right it's that but it's that idea that first responders believe that they can withstand anything, which is, you know, that's a, that's a great mentality to have up until that insidious, you know, poor mental health
0: starts to basically eat you from the inside out. Because you're not a deal. Because you're it. not a deal. Yeah, and going that, I mean, I use that word invest, right? You, recognizing it as one thing and then investing it. I, I take this example of a, For example, I can get on Amazon right now, find some Egyptian cotton sheets for my king size bed, and I can spend 400 bucks on a set of sheets. Okay. Right? 400 bucks on a set of sheets. Okay. There's no way I'm going to spend 400 bucks on a set of sheets. No way. I'll go to Walmart and I'll get the $40 set. Right? It's just not that important to me. Okay. But if I go to a gun shop and find a Glock 45 for 400 bucks, I'm like, that's a great deal. Right. I'll drop 400 bucks right now for that, right? Right. To add it to guns i already have you know like whatever because that's a great deal however the set of sheets are probably going to help me sleep well which is going to help my mental health a lot better than having another gun in my safe good point right so like what am i investing in you know am i investing in something just so i can say i have it versus it or am i dropping money that's actually going to help me or am i actually going to invest in something that's really going to help me in the long run because i mean correct me if i'm wrong again um psychologists therapists psychiatrists I, it's my understanding that when someone comes to you with a problem, one of the first questions that may come up is, "How are you sleeping?" Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have to take care of your yeah. basic needs. Yeah, you know, a lot of sleeping, of, exercise, yeah, like water. A lot of uh, mental health issues with depression, anxiety, and a lot of other stuff people may go through. Kind of a lot of it can stem from just not sleeping. Right. Absolutely, hundred percent correct. Yep. So it kind of goes back to you know investing your mental health, and part of that might be, hey, okay, drop the money on a good bed and a nice set of sheets and a good pillow. I have a MyPillow. I actually surprisingly like it. <laughs> you know that Mike Lindell, and my, the pillow yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah. I bought one on a whim thinking this is stupid and I feel a pillow I'm like, I don't like this at all and then I lay my head on it and I'm like, holy crap, I've, I've had this pillow for six months. I never woke up with a sore neck, never had an issue, oh, never... You're making a strong case for I know, body. sorry. Mike, if you want to sponsor the show, <laughs> right. by all exactly. means. Exactly. Hey folks, everyone has that person in their life who seems a little harder to buy for than anyone else. But before you settle on yet another gift card, check out Beyond the Branch Designs in Northern California. They do custom wood-carved home decor like flags, badges, and display holders. Reach out to my new friends Lisa and Mike, branchdesigns99 at gmail.com or 530-301-4420. So I want to touch, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you, actually no, we did touch on that a lot. I was going to say, how do you recognize when someone else is going with, through it? Um, let's discuss techniques. Like, okay, so if we got somebody who's watching this right now who says, okay, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. Okay. Um, one technique I would recognize or recommend for them is to find a way to unplug and do something you enjoy to do. Right, sure. um, And I'm not talking about clinical depression, right? I'm not talking about someone who may need additional assistance. I'm talking about just somebody who's like in a funk. In a funk, right? Let's talk about that funk for a little bit. You know, you go through your work week. It's now your weekend, and you're not doing anything else, and you just you feel miserable. Okay, you don't know why. So, first of all, we got to break that funk, right? You got to recognize what it is, and you got to say, okay, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to make myself do it anyways because I know logically I enjoy doing that. Okay, I went through a phase in my life where, because I enjoy going hunting, right? Hunting's my thing. And it's not always, it has nothing really to do about killing animals. It's about getting out in nature sure. and just hiking around and seeing God's country, so to speak. Right. Right? And maybe every once in a while, but I'll go out 20 times and maybe I'll kill a deer. You know? Right, like, right. but really, it's about getting out and just unplugging. Um, but I went through a phase where I did not enjoy hunting anymore. You know, I had no desire to do it. I was considering selling off much of my gear. And this was years, this was shoot, 10, 12 years, 11 years, no, would have been eight years ago. Um, And I finally had to just stop and recognize, hold on, that's a problem. Because this is something I enjoyed for years. So you did that. Yeah, I I basically had to, yeah, you had to look in the mirror. Right. Right. I'm like, now there's a problem here. There's there's something going on. I enjoyed doing this for years and now I don't. Okay. And so obviously the first step I had to do was I got to go hunting. I got to make myself go do it. You know, and I went out, I can't remember if I was duck hunting or if I went out coyote hunting, one of those, um, I didn't get anything, but I was still out in nature and I said, okay, this, this is cool. You know, and then I started kind of surrounding myself with that. Oh, let me watch some YouTube videos about the hunting. Uh, let me read a book or watch a TV show that, or a movie that talks about it or something like that, you know, and kind of re-excite myself into that and break that mold and break out of that. But it's hard to recognize that that's what you're needing, right? Not everyone's going to look in the mirror and say, holy crap, what I used to enjoy, I no longer enjoy. Right. You know, so what What might be – and and as we already said, there's nothing that – something that might work for me is not going to work for the next guy. Right? It's true. And so how do we look at somebody like a coworker and try and get them to say, okay, hey, man, uh, you're in a funk and we're going to help you break out of that. What can we – like – I don't know where I'm going with this but like how well, do you I get I get what you're saying I want to and, help people how do I help people
1: and and what and so what, what you did for yourself is actually really good because uh, ultimately you realize that there you you kind of were able to step outside yourself and realize that there was a funk going on right mm-hmm. and so ultimately I would say that there are times when you need to sort of fake it till you make it I hate that phrase but that's 100 percent true where you're doing something when you don't feel like doing that's something. that's the story of like, my law like, enforcement point, career right where, <laughs> But working out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We have so much more to talk about. We can actually do this in session. Uh, but it's it's this. You want to be able to sort of do what you want to be able to do until you are are actually wanting to do it, right? Like mm-hmm. right? that. But the, the the difference between the person who's faking it until they make it and the person who's actually doing the work that they need to to work on to sort of deal with the core problems is. You can do the fake it till you make it, but if you're doing that type of stuff to cover up something else and you're not addressing the core issues, then all you're doing is basically holding up a mask until it gets too, you get too tired to hold it up anymore, and then eventually you lash out at somebody, right? Mm-hmm. It, what it comes down to is you have to actually be willing to step into the problems that have gotten you to that point, right? You have to be. And that's the toughest part with first responders is nobody ever wants to say there's something wrong with you, right? Like that's not that's not something that we typically say. Who wants to hear that something's wrong with them, right? Right. Because if you think about what happens when you are out, you know, if you're if you're a first responder and you're active and you're in in your element, everything's great. But if you get injured or something happens where you basically kind of slide out of that, that, that cycle, you feel completely lost, right? I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that. When I, when I got injured and, and sort of went to that, that uh, where I had to go into the whole workman's comp process – that was miserable. That was worse than anything i'd ever seen on the job because of what you had to go through that that depression, that sense of helplessness and the fact that you 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 know you weren't a productive member and nobody come by to see you and all that kind of stuff and it was that it's that idea that you got to be right in it well, if you're depressed, the last thing you want to do is be in it you want to be you want to just be kind of stuck back in this this hole. And it's that, and if you're faking it to all the people outside and not dealing with the things that brought you to that hole to begin with, then eventually you're just going to run out of energy, and you know, and uh, revert to drugs or, or you know, end up beating your gun. Honestly, and that's a, I hear a lot of people talking about that stuff, and it's 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 shocking because it's got to be done. It's not just about you know. Uh, faking it and doing the things and trying to figure that stuff out it's about stepping into the pro as a part of a bigger process you're doing this stuff but you're also working on
0: the core things that need to be fixed in order for you to be happy in the long run mm-hmm. i think the people that worry me the most are the ones that you know they're not doing anything and you know and what i mean by that is like you work with them during the week you know the weekend comes and goes and you ask them hey how's your weekend you do anything no just sat around the house i watched the game you know and I'm like, okay, and then you know, you, you work with this person for sometimes years on end, sure, and you never hear about them doing anything for themselves. You know, they don't take little trips for themselves, they don't do, you know, maybe they live by themselves. Those are the people that scare me the most. Because I'm always worried, I'm like, man, one of these days I'm gonna get a phone call about that guy. You know, one of these days, and so you try and encourage them. I remember one guy, it was actually funny because I was worried about him, because he never really talked to it himself. But I always I interpreted that as this guy doesn't do anything. He just lives by himself, he's right. single, he doesn't do anything. And so, you know, I started kind of, like, forced conversation. I was just like, what do you do for fun, man? What do you do? Like, trying to get him to, like, at least give me a sign oh, that yeah, he's okay. Sure, sure. Or, or, yeah, either give me a sign that he's okay or give me a sign that he's not. You know, just something. Well, it turns out he just didn't like talking about himself. And really what it was is he liked watching the Food Network. He liked cooking and doing stuff. He was really into snowmobiles. He goes up to the mountains. He'll He'll spend thousands of dollars on a brand-new snowmobile, and he'll go take a trip by himself doing 40-mile loops out in the snow. You know, and I'm like, oh. He's all right,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> but, well, we compare we compare our insides to other people's outsides, right? Mm-hmm. But the the simple fact is, most people don't don't know what's going on inside somebody. They can only go, oh, he looks fine. He's got a smile on his face. He does all this stuff, but he doesn't know that there's some personal hell that that person's going through, right? Mm-hmm. So, so how many people do we walk by on a daily basis that are one? one compliment or insult away from jumping off a bridge, right? There's, there's probably quite a few people, but it's because we, we basically go, well, I know how I'm feeling right now, and what I feel looks like this person right here. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's inaccurate a lot.
0: Yeah, you reminded me, I think the first time I became very aware of how you interact and what you say to people, I was actually in high school and I got called, I got summoned to the elementary school for a meeting, my mom and I, and I had no idea what this was about. I'm like, what the heck? I'm in trouble for something, what did I do? Right, we're automatically scared that you're in trouble. Though. Yeah, right. and turns out what happened, it was, a, it was an event that I didn't even remember happening. But I guess I got on the bus, I was moving, and the high school's last kids to get picked up before they took us all home. Mm-hmm. And there's I guess there was a little girl who's kind of in the alley, and I said, hey, get out of the way, like move. You know, and I step around her. Well, apparently I hurt her feelings. Okay, because the big cool high school kid that she was looking up to uh, had some sort of negative interaction with her and I hurt her feelings so now here we are a month later mom's concerned because she's seeing notes at home saying you know i want to hurt myself i want to do this i want to do that blah, blah blah and this little girl cited this incident with me as like when it started when she like was upset mm-hmm. now i don't know if that's true i was looking at the notes thinking i'm like i think she has something else going on here <laughs> you right, know like right. i don't think this was all me but that's what started this whole meeting and so now, taking the story set aside, I was like, well, I guess I do got to think about the way I talk to people because you're right. You don't know what they're going through. 100%. You know, you can have that guy who's at home fighting with his wife, dealing with a, a rowdy teenager who's getting the drugs and all this stuff, and then you tease him at work because that's what cops do, right? It's, it's constantly a pissing contest. Yep. You know, you tease him at work and make fun of him and have no idea that work was his sanctuary from his hell. And now you're making work miserable for him, too. So then he goes to work and he's miserable because guys are clowning on him. And then he goes home and he's miserable because he's dealing with all his other stuff and he has nothing else. 100% true. Right? Absolutely true. So, all right, folks. Um, Don, do you have any contact information or anything you'd like to share with anybody? if, if... Uh, Sure, I can actually be. You don't reached. have to. Well, know I, so I, I can
1: be reached um, at nine two five four four six five seven two four. That's my that's my work phone
0: number, and then I can also be reached at therapywithdon at gmail dot com. Okay, so if you're in the Northern California area and you feel like Don might be the guy that you can talk to, welcome to my screen. Row row. Oh, just on like a second. So anyways, the camera's still rolling. So um, uh, if you're in the Northern California area and you feel like Don is somebody you can talk to, by all means, he just gave out his information. I mean, that's as good as with any type of help or counselor or therapist that you get I do online
1: stuff as well, so for, for the, I'm not, not a huge fan of it. I actually do like, I prefer the in-person stuff, but that's just because I want to see what you're doing. I want to be able to... Uh, dissect your brain but uh otherwise you know i I do it just because i know there's a lot of folks out there
0: that need help all right folks well this is a serving the peace podcast thank you for joining us uh don you have anything else you want to add i'm good thank you let's go ahead and cut it